Father God, I want to thank you so much for Mike. I want to thank you for the words that you have laid on his heart. Lord, he's speaking about something so close to your heart, about discipleship. And so, Lord, I thank you, yeah, that as he speaks, he'll share a part of your heart tonight, Lord. Um, just be with him. And, yeah, Lord, thank you that you'll open up our hearts to receive what he has to say. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Thank you so much. Amen. Good evening, everybody. Yeah. Man, there's a lot going on, hey? Man, there's exciting times, hey? It's a vibe. There must be something happening in this church. I think I might want to come more often. <laughs> it's great stuff, hey? Yeah, so welcome to Texan Sunday. I'm joking. Uh, there was a Texan in the morning service, and, and there was a Texan in reverb, and there's a Texan here today. So we have invaded, but, um, but it's not a colonial type thing. We come with respect and honor. <laughs> Thanks for allowing us to be here today. <laughs> oh, man. Great. During worship, there was this moment where the choir was declaring, it's yours, it's yours, it's yours, it's yours. Did you guys hear that? Right? And there was something there, something significant. And I just want to take a minute um, before I deliver this um, lovely message about discipleship. Um, they were declaring, it's yours, it's yours, it's yours, it's yours. And I remember a song that just flattened me in about 2006. And it's about Psalms 24, so not quite exactly the same. But the song said, it's all yours, God, yours, God. Everything is yours, right? And they were saying, it's yours, it's yours, it's yours, it's yours. And what exploded in my spirit when I was sitting there is um, some of us, are, we want to move forward with God. We want to move forward with life. But there's this thing that went wrong. And we just, we can't get past that thing. It's just there. And every time you strain to move forward, yes, but there's this thing. Um, I'll give you an example. There's many different kinds. But an example in my life is when I was leading a worship ministry in Texas in about 2009. I was put over a project that cost 1,100 US dollars. And um, I completely blew it. I messed it up. <laughs> Some leaders in this house went, yo, <laughs> don't put that guy in charge of stuff, right? <laughs> I did, I, it was my first time to do this particular kind of project. I didn't know what I was doing. I got counsel, we, but it didn't work. And everything that could possibly go wrong went wrong. And we finished the $1,100 project with no fruit. Nothing. Nothing. <laughs> Y'all know what? It took me years to get over that. Years. I, would, I got here to this nation um, like six or so years after that. And I was still every now and then having to go on my knees. And God, help me get past that. I didn't, I didn't want to trust myself to handle it. You know what I'm saying? It's that thing that it's there and I don't feel like I can move on. Sorry. So, but it could be a disappointment. It could be I prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed for this person and they did not get well. And they went to be with Jesus. And I tell you what, actually they're well. Okay? They're well. That healing did manifest on this side of eternity. But I'm going to tell you, they would not want to come back are you with me? 
right? So, um, but maybe it's that. And there's that thing. And sometimes those, listen, those things are sore, right? Those things are sore. There's all kinds of different things. And I just, I was sitting there and the choir was declaring, it's yours, it's yours, it's yours, it's yours. And I wonder if there's some folks here tonight that, as I mentioned a couple of things, it crossed, it crossed your mind. You know what? It's this. It's this. This thing happened. I made this massive mistake. Maybe your mistake wasn't as massive financially as mine. Or maybe it was worse. <laughs> or I did this. Or the young man that Garth talks about, right? He is moving past, right? He's moving into his future in Malawi. Isn't that beautiful? What is it, right? Because tonight we can join the choir and we can say, it's yours. It's yours. It's yours. And I know why sermons go, you're supposed to preach first and then minister. And that's how it's supposed to go. But I really, I want to obey the Lord. Um, and if there's anything that you're like, you know what, actually this thing, I've never been able to get past it. Let's give it to the Lord right now. Okay. We can actually do it without pads and low lighting. We can just do it sitting right here. I'll chill. Right. So if you have that thing in your mind, um, you don't even have to say it out loud because there's no pads to cover, you know, <laughs> but, um, but you can just right now, just lay that thing before the Lord. So, and join in, pray with me, pray in your heart, pray out loud, pray however, but give that thing. And you may want to do um, this wonderful exercise I learned from Pastor Jack called palms down, palms up, right? You may want to just reach your hands out and put your palms towards the ground and say, God, here's that thing that I don't feel like I can get past. Here's that mistake. Here's that disappointment. Here's that thing that so-and-so did. God, I lay it down and I say, it's yours. And if you have something, why don't you just say it out loud? It's yours. It's yours. God, it's yours. I lay it down. Now, there's some other things. There's some great successes that sometimes we get stuck on and we're living in the glory of what God did 15 years ago. And people, God wants to do stuff now. So take the successes, palms down, God, it's yours. God, it's yours. Whatever you did that was so amazing five months ago, five years ago, for a few of us in the young adult service that aren't young adults anymore, 30 years ago, God, it's yours. Will you say that with me one more time? It's yours. It's yours. Now let's turn our palms up to receive. Now that we've laid the stuff down, Father, we receive your spirit again. Lord, would you baptize us right now with your Holy Spirit? Lord, as we lay stuff down, Lord, we want to move forward with you. We want to go forward in this life with you. Lord, I pray that you'd begin even now to birth dreams about what's next and what you want to do in people's lives and where you're taking them. I declare over everyone in this house that the steps of a just man are ordered of the Lord. So I thank you, Lord, for your guidance. I thank you that you're involved in our lives and you direct us. And everybody in this room can bear great, huge, mighty fruit for the King of Kings as we dwell in you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So for if that was one person or 15 people, praise God. Or um, maybe 100 people. Who knows? Right? Welcome to the last Sunday of 120. Do y'all know what this 120? Come on, because I told y'all last time, eh? Right. So all around the city of Tuani tonight um, and this morning, um, pulpits are talking about one heart for discipleship. So we're going to look at one heart for discipleship tonight. Um, so, yeah, so we're going to look at it. And I wrote these three little words down. I grew up Southern Baptist. So every now and then, if you grew up Southern Baptist, when you preach, you have to use alliteration. You might remember what alliteration is. 
right? It's not that way in the passage of Scripture, but then you got you to find a synonym so it can have the same letters, right? So here we are. One heart for discipleship, found, following, and fishing. And now y'all know what passage to go to, right? But before we go there, I'm going to talk about a guy named Dave. Now, Dave's not a... Of Dave's not an illustration. Dave's not a, a, a story or a character of a sketch. Dave is a real dude. Dave lives in Houston. Dave has a wife named Marty, and Dave is one of my heroes. And I've never met Dave, right? But I know all about Dave because of our mutual friend. So I want to tell you about Dave, who's one of my heroes. He and his wife, Marty, now we're talking tonight about one heart for discipleship. Dave and his wife, Marty, um, every year, all the time, not on a yearly basis, but seasonally, they ask God in every season, God, who should we be discipling? Tell us, give us one person, God, one family, one couple, one person, who is it, God? And they pray and they trust God until they have somebody in their house every week. And one person, Right. And they pour their lives into either one person or one couple um, every week. Boom. They week after week after week after week. They just pour their lives into that into that couple. They present truth. They have them to their house. They go to their house. Um, even if the couple's not born again. Right. The Bible does not say anywhere to make converts. That was for free. y'all. Bible says to make disciples. Right. So um, Dave one day met a guy named Wynn. Wynn's one of my best friends. OK, when um, Wynn's older than me. Amen. It's still possible. There are people older than me. <laughs> Wynn's older than me. Right. But Dave met a guy named Wynn. And um, God spoke to Dave and said, that's your family right there. Dave's like, OK, so Wynn's married. <laughs> right. So um, he and Marty went to Wynn's house and his wife. And that first dinner at their house, his wife, I've told you all about her before. Her name is Nancy. She's, she's a great friend of mine, um, a huge person who discipled me in my life, right? Nancy grew up in church, but she was not serving the Lord at the time. She wanted nothing to do with church or God. So Dave and Marty went to Wynn and Nancy's house because God said to disciple this person. And when sat, having never grown up in church, never barely knew anything about Jesus or any church stuff, when sat absolutely transfixed by the good news and what they were sharing. Nancy sat and went through two packs of cigarettes on purpose, blowing them into the faces of Dave and Marty, just alternating, taking turns, blowing, blowing it right. Because she couldn't believe these nasty Christians were up in her house. She was so upset. You know, so um, so Nancy was putting smoke into their faces and they led her husband to Jesus. And she's like, God, help me. I'm surrounded now. <laughs> Three weeks later, God won her back. Yeah. And it's an amazing story that I don't have time for tonight. But this is Dave and Marty and Dave and Marty spent the next year of their lives every week with Wynn and Nancy in their house. And Nancy, we have a saying in Texas, all bowed up. Do y'all know what that means? It means you're frustrated and mad as um, the Dickens. <laughs> and just bowed up. Mm, you know, I'm not listening to nothing. And that's where <laughs> Nancy was for the first several months, right? 
And um, they spent a year dealing with all this attitude and week after week spending time. What did you hear in church today? What did you see? What's God saying? What's happening here? And then I, I reached out to Nancy today. Tell me about these people again because they're just amazing. They're heroes of mine, even though I forgot their names. I tell you, I never met them. And if, even if I meet you, I still forget your name the first eight times because I, I don't know who, who are these people. And then I had to write it down. But she told me they never challenged us behaviorally. They presented truth over and over. Isn't that something? So we'll share a little bit more about Dave and Marty later. But these are two of my heroes, even though I've never met them. And they're still with us. They're still in Houston. So I'll tell you, somewhere this week, Dave and Marty are talking to somebody who may or may not know Jesus and who may or may not be blowing cigarette smoke into their faces. If they know that it's coming, it won't be long, and you'll be serving Jesus too, right? So swipe with me to Matthew chapter 4, verse 18. Y'all still aren't used to that? All right, turn in your Bibles, those of you who bring those um, paper ones. Otherwise, your electronic ones. Matthew chapter 4, verse 18. We're just going to read five verses, 18 through 22. It says this, As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Man, thanks for clarifying that for me, Matthew. I'm just kidding. And Jesus said, come, follow me, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother John. And they were in a boat with their father Zebedee, preparing their nets. Jesus called them, and immediately they left their boat and their dad and followed him. Wow. There must have been something about Jesus, right? I mean, they left dad. Right? Dad, uh, yeah, I, this, this guy, he said, come and, you know, cheers, hey? Bye. All right? Boom, gone, done and dusted. And dad's in the boat, like on the ocean. I guess I'll just fold all these nuts myself. Right? <laughs> there must have been something amazing about Jesus. And of course there was. So I want to look at three things in discipleship. And if you are hearing this tonight and you go, man, there's so much more about discipleship. There's this and there's this and there's this passage and this passage. You're right. Why don't you read it this week? Let's be Bereans and let's dig into the word of God. If you don't know what is a Berean, ask me later, but it's a good thing, right? The first thing about discipleship is disciples are found by Jesus. Now, I don't know about you, but I imagine it's pretty rare. I will tell you that I was not running all over the place looking for Jesus when he found me. No, it was really not. Is there anyone like you were like, you were like after it, you were going to find Jesus, whatever it took. You were running all over the place, right? Man, he came after. Paul even said that. Paul said in Philippians 3, he said, I got one thing. This Jesus that came after me, I am now in hot pursuit and I'm after him. He got me and now I want him. And actually, he's all I want. Disciples are found by Jesus. Jesus was just chilling, walking by the, um, by the lake in Galilee. And he said, oh, look, here's a couple of guys that I'm going to call. And he called them to himself. He, disciples are found by Jesus and he actually speaks their language. If you look at the story in the book of Luke, um, you can see that Matthew's holding out on us. 
Luke gives some more details, right? So I love Jesus. He's pretty bold. You know, he's God and the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, right? So, um, I, you know, Peter's boat was in the earth. So I guess it's Jesus's boat, right? So he just stepped in, right? He's walking by the Sea of Galilee. You look in Luke chapter five, he got into Peter's boat. He said, um, you know, while you fold your nets, I'm just going to preach the gospel here, right? And then he sat down in Peter's boat and he started preaching. And there were, you know, probably a couple thousand people on the side of the hill and Jesus is just preaching the gospel. And then when he's done, he turns around because when Jesus finds you, he speaks your language. He turns around and he starts speaking fishermen to Peter. Put out into the deep, right? And see, you know, I grew up fishing with my dad, but I would still be like, where's the deep? You know, I guess it's farther from the shore, but, you know, I don't ever go fishing with me unless you want a real peace and quiet. Because you'll get that because angle be no fish. I cannot fish to save my life. I go fishing to relax because I know nothing's going to happen. Right? <laughs> I'm a terrible fisherman, you know. Right. We, my dad and I used to go fishing and we went fishing so that we could listen to the radio. Right. And have a nice lacquer braai. And that was it, man. You know. So. Um, yeah. So Jesus says, put out into the deep and and drop the nets for a catch. He's speaking fisherman language. He's he's talking the lingo. And of course, Peter says, yeah, there's nothing out there. But whatever you say, you know, and of course, y'all know the story there was some stuff out there. And then he called him out there in the boat, right? While his friends were struggling to get this immense, never before seen, insane catch of fish into the boat. Peter stops helping him and falls on his face at the feet of Jesus and says, I do not deserve someone like you to be in my boat. It probably he's thinking in the interest of my survival, please, please go. Right. And Jesus said, don't be afraid, but follow me and I'm going to make you a fisher of men. He calls him. And I just want if there's anyone nervous or scared about this calling thing, what am I called to do? What am I called for? What's my calling? Oh, let me fret. Oh, should I go to this university? Should I do this? Oh. And we fret and we worry. I'm going to. It's really simple. We all in here have the same calling. We do. We are called to him. Done and dusted. You can, rela you can relax. You can breathe now. <sighs> Everything else is an assignment. Right? You can call it a calling. It's not wrong. Paul says in one of his letters, Paul called to be an apostle. Right? But the other day, and some of y'all have heard me say this, but the other day, I called my son Russell. I said, Russell, bring me a screwdriver. Okay? Y'all, that's deep, isn't it? And Russell, lo and behold, he brought unto me the screwdriver that I hath requested. Right? Did I change his calling? Did I say, thou art now the bringer of screwdrivers? <laughs> I, of course it was his calling for about 15 seconds. But when he was born, I called him Russell, my son. And no matter what he does his whole life, he will always be Russell, my son. 
And whatever your assignment is, whatever your calling is here and there in your journey through life, you will always have the calling. You are called to him. You are called his son and his daughter. Is that okay? Right. Disciples are found by Jesus and they are called by Jesus and they're found in their own context. Right. Jesus went to the Jesus is calling a fisherman named Peter and he didn't say to Peter, lo, I am anointing you to be a prophet unto the nations. Peter would have said, huh? You know, he might have swore at him. He's a fisherman. Can we be real? You know, Peter would not have understand that. But what did Jesus say? Jesus said, I'm going to make you a fisher of men. He called him in his own context. This morning, Letitia came to me and said what was so powerful to her is she's noticing how much in the word God speaks to us according to what's right there in our hands. He called the fishermen to fish. Y'all remember the story of Moses? Moses sees a bush on fire, but it's not burning up. And he's like, I need to look at that. That's a little different. And he goes over there and the bush knows his name. So y'all think of it. Come on. Before you realize that's God, that would freak you out, right? Look, there's a burning bush. It knows my name. <sighs> oh, you know, can you imagine walking under a jacaranda and the jacaranda says your name, Richie. <laughs> Yes, and he took his shoes off and God speaking to him. And he said, God, I can't this, I can't this, I can't this. And God said, what is that in your hand? He has a stick, <laughs> right? But it's a shepherd's staff because what was Moses? He was a shepherd. And God took Moses' occupation and displayed his glory with his occupation, Right? So I had a question for you. What's in your hand? And you're like, it's a spatula. Because <laughs> I work at McDonald's. And I'm like, bless you. I got a McDonald's hamburger today. It was so good, you know? Right? And God, do you believe God could show his glory through your, through your spatula? It sounds silly, but I'm being very serious. Right? Because there's a detail about Dave. Y'all remember, don't forget Dave and Marty. Dave's my hero. Don't forget my hero. You're going to hurt my feelings. Right? There's a detail about Dave. You see, Dave does all this amazing discipleship, right? Because God told him to. So let's think with me. What's his occupation? He's got to be a pastor, right? Or maybe he's a Sunday school teacher. Or maybe he teaches at the seminary. Maybe he's a lecturer. Maybe he's a doctor like Dr. Sean Joint, right? And he lectures. Maybe he's a worship leader, Right? Or maybe he's an insurance salesman because Dave's an insurance salesman. You know, like, how many of y'all went, oh, man, that's not cool. <laughs> Dave's an insurance salesman. Dave sells insurance, and he was working for a company right next door. His office was right next door to this completely lost accountant named Wynn. And when Wynn started working there, <coughs> God told Dave, that's your guy, that family. And Dave's like, all right, this is going to be fun. Right? So um, Kherbin's here. Kherbin told me about a, a, about a drummer, 
a few drummers, because I have drummers all know each other, right? Um, <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm going to pay for that one later. Sorry. Um, he told me about this drummer that got born again. And if I'm probably going to get the story wrong, please forgive me. I'm, I try. But something about this, this drummer, he got born again, but he didn't stop drumming. And y'all, I mean, shh, but he wasn't drumming in church, right? But um, he didn't stop his drumming. He just started doing Bible studies, you know? So everywhere they go, there's a concert. There's people out here smoking dacha, you know? There's people, but back here, there's like sound guys getting born again because of the drummer, you know? And, um, and the, the guy... That, they were, that the band was working with and going on tour with began to have problems as artists do. I'm just kidding, but it seems to happen. <laughs> and he went, he said, man, can you like do Bible studies one-on-one with me, right? I don't know the end of the story. I don't know what happened in that guy's life. But the moral of the story is um, if you give God your occupation instead of being ashamed with it, you might end up doing Bible studies for Prince. You know what I'm saying? So um, what's in your hand? What's in your hand? It's very rare that God calls someone, drop your business and go start a church. Like the guy who did GLS forever, whatever that guy's name was, right? He was one example, but most people, God, you get born again. You're like, God, what do I do? And God says, what's in your hand? Oh man, that is awesome. You're, you're an architect, cool. Because God's like, I know about 30 architects that have never met me and they're desperate and they need hope. And God's like, I'm ready to use the exact context in which Jesus wants to empower you. So if I can go back to the burger flipping example, the biggest impact you'll ever make might be putting mayonnaise on the burger you just fried. Because it might be your colleague at work. We're talking about one heart for discipleship. And I hope you're beginning to catch that discipleship does happen in this building, but it's supposed to most of it happen not in this building. And I don't mean decrease the discipleship. No, I mean increase the discipleship out there. You know how churches worked in the first century is Sunday was a celebration service. They celebrated how many people got born again during the week while the believers were doing a job and leading people to Jesus and making disciples. It was a celebration service, right? Because like last week we were here and there was 250 of us. This week there's 290 of us. Here's these 40 people that got born again in the week. Whoa! They spent half the time celebrating their number. The Bible said God increased their number daily as many as should be saved. And some of us read that and we see it, but then our mind goes, God increased their number every Sunday as many as should be saved. Oh, every day. And I get in my head of myself, right? I perceive that I have negative one minute remaining. Do the other two points very quickly, and I'll give this back to um, Jill. Second thing, disciples follow. Disciples follow. There's a leaving behind. You know, uh, Zebedee's sons just left him in the boat. They just left him there. But Peter and John, or no, yeah, Peter and the other guy, Andrew, right? They got to the shore, and Jesus said, follow me. But look in the story in Luke. They didn't just leave their nets. Y'all, there was a supernatural catch. 
There's like more fish than they'd seen in their lives. There was like six months of salary laying on the beach. And they left it. They left it. And they left their nets. That's like if you're an Uber driver and Jesus said, follow me. You just leave your car on the side of the road and just go on with Jesus. They left their nets. That's nuts. You know, we look at those things with our, with our modern perspective. You know, the man, a fisherman in the first century left his nets on the side of the lake. The nets weren't there very long. They ain't had no nets no more. You know, they left everything. Right? They left the tools of their trade. They left fishing so they could fish. Right? And then disciples are taught and instructed by Jesus. Because I'm going to tell you, it wasn't very many months and those men were, they were extraordinarily changed. Right? So this afternoon I was looking at that. I want to tell you, this is what I prayed this afternoon. As I look at that thing again and I'm thinking about the word disciple, which comes from discipline and being trained. And a disciple is someone who is actively being mentored by the unseen living God. And I'm looking at that and I'm like, God, actually, the last few weeks, I'm barely keeping my nostrils above water with, with the work and trying to manage my time and not doing great. In the last few weeks, God, I've been working for you more than I've been being mentored by you. And God, I just, I was alone in my room. I was like, Jesus, forgive me. I want to be a disciple. I'm not too old to be a disciple. I need to be changed by you. When was the last time my life changed? If it was more than two weeks ago, I need to wake up. Do you believe he still changes lives? Do you believe he still changed your life? God changed my life five months ago, and I'm so grateful, but God's alive today. I want to be changed today because I'm going to tell somebody tomorrow that Jesus can change their lives, but I'm full of it if I haven't let him change mine. Can we say full of it in church? Is that okay? Right? Disciples are, are followers of Jesus. They're instructed by Jesus. Am I actively being instructed by Jesus? Last point, because now I've got negative three minutes. Disciples make disciples. Jesus said, it's cool that you're a fisherman. Follow me, I'll make you a fisher of men. There's some really cool examples. A guy named Smith Wigglesworth. Y'all have heard that? All the power. Oh, yes. But here's what he used to do. He used to, he used to say, God, give me just one person today. Please, one person to lead to Jesus. And he would get home after work or after an evening and he would ball if he hadn't had the opportunity. And sometimes he would go back out in the street at night because he cannot, you know, what a heart for discipleship. God, at least one. Give me just one. You're like, wow, Smith Bigglesworth has been a pastor, right? Now nah, he's a plumber. Amen. Come on, plumbers. Is, is there any plumbers in the house? What's in your hand? Here's another great example that I heard just yesterday. Man, this blew my mind. Um, Cody White, who did the reverb service this morning, was, um, was preaching somewhere. It was in, he was in, with the guys from Hatfield South, I think. And some kid came up to him and said, man, hey, how's your granddad? And Cody had to share with him, my granddad is with Jesus now. And then this kid started crying. And Cody's like, um, do you know my granddad? said, when your granddad came here two years ago, 
I just went up to say hi because I thought it was cool that I never met a cowboy. Like, dude was legit. Like, all of us Texans don't do the thing, but he did the thing, man. The belt buckle you serve breakfast on, you know what I'm talking about? <laughs> right? Boots, you know, with the big heels. Dudes can't wear high heels unless it's boots. And then all of a sudden, it's cool. Right? The, the Stetson and all this stuff, you know? And so he went up to like, oh, it's a cowboy. You know? And he's talking to this cowboy. And what does he do? The, the old man just encourages him and says nice thing. And, oh, oh, you just got born again yesterday. That is so cool, man. I've been walking with Jesus. He just kind of shares a story, you know, and it inspired that kid. And two years later, that kid is still walking with Jesus. And he remembers this cowboy that he feels like God sent him across the ocean just to encourage him. Right. That was a five minute conversation Please don't ever underestimate what smiling at someone and sharing your story can do. Your redneck changed his life <laughs> with a draw, right? Man, normal, ordinary stuff, what is in your hand? Every one of you have one thing for sure in your hand. You have a testimony, right? Fishers of men. Dave and Marty said, God, who are you assigning to us for this season? They did the lunch and dinner. Let me tell you about Wynn and his wife, Nancy. Wynn is a financial deacon in a great church in Texas, my home church. Um, I think it's a great church. Um, and depending on where I'm at, when, when I'm at, when I'm here, it's the second greatest church in the world. But when I'm in Texas, it's the greatest church in the world. I hope that's okay with y'all, right? But he's a financial elder there, and he's discipled many people in the art of godly stewardship of their own resources. And there's among the many people, Shandra and I are some who've been debt-free for over 10 years because when discipled us and taught us how to stop being idiots with our money and to honor God with it. But then there's Nancy who learned to forgive her dad and be free from the horrible stuff that man did to her for nine years and who turned away from her bitterness and turned to God. And now she's bringing healing to people and discipleship in like three or four nations, right? And started massive discipleship ministries, right? All because an insurance salesman has the courage to say, God, you know, I'm not some big preacher, man, but you can surely let me have dinner with one family every week and just tell them how great you are. Amen. Don't you think you could do that? I think you can. So fishers of men, what is in your hands? Disciples who make disciples is, is the thing, right? Disciples make disciples. That's what we do. And that's one of Pastor Louis's main focuses, the lead pastor of our church, is we want to make disciples who make disciples. And y'all all have heard the Great Commission. If not, you can ask Letitia or me or, or the, you know, Richie just finished, just got his degree. You know what I'm saying? So you can ask Richie. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. No pressure. Show us what you learned. <laughs> but listen to this. He gave the Great Commission to, I'm tempted to ask you, but then that'd just be mean. He gave the Great Commission to 520 people. And we read that, we think, oh man, it was like this intimate thing. And Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John, well not Luke, but Matthew, Mark, and John, and Andrew, and all these oaks were sitting around. There were 520 people there. And then he ascended into heaven. And those 520 people were like, you. I would too, come on. A dude just like, you know, 
<laughs> and they're standing there until an angel finally has to come down and say, all righty then, off you go. <laughs> 520 people were there. Or it could have been 520 men and God knows how many women because they did counting kind of weird back then. It was a lot of folks, okay? Ten days later, 120 of those folks were in the upper room when the Holy Spirit was given, right? And the rest of the book of Acts tells the story of a few of these people that were in that room who God made leaders and whom God entrusted to direct this early precious birthing stage of his church. And we see the exploits in the, in the story of how the church learns things and grows, right? But we read in, in chapter 4 that God added to their number every Sunday as many should be saved. Is that right? God added to their number daily as many as should be saved. Come on, with Peter and John doing all that? Who were doing everyday stuff? It was them 120 people in that room. It wasn't just the apostles. It was all of them, y'all. It was all of them making disciples. All of them. They were all doing the work. So it's time to go fishing. Or it's time to go write some law stuff. Or I, I still don't get what you do, brother. It's so complicated, right? It's time to play soccer, you know? Football, sorry. It's time to play football, right? What's in your hand? right? It's time. There was a commercial in the 80s, a Dunkin' Donuts commercial. It's a donut place where they, no matter how early you go to work, this place will be open and they'll have donuts and coffee. The coffee's actually pretty good. But the commercial showed a guy like bleary-eyed and sleepy because it's two in the morning and he's like, time to make the donuts. And that was his thing, right? Time to make the donuts. And we all said it, time to make the donuts. Right? It's time to make the donuts, y'all. It's time to make disciples right there in your context. You don't even have to get a theology degree to do it. So here's, here's a possible response. All over 20 this today, there are groups of people who are looking at these four questions. So I really wanted to be a part of it and challenge us with these. And then I'm done. Right? Here's a possible response. Could you ask the Lord for one or two or three names? God, who in my world, in my circle of influence, does not know you at all? Or who barely knows you, but they're clearly not being discipled by Jesus? Could you ask him, right? Maybe write these questions down or ask him even now. And the next thing, could you ask the Lord for a strategy or an assignment? So Dave and Marty are an example, but please, they're not a template. Okay? Their thing is, you know, coffee and cigarette smoke in your face. Right? That's their thing. Right? But what is your strategy? It's, is it a conversation? Is it, is it, hey, let's go to Starbucks and drink not great coffee but have great Wi-Fi? Or is it, um, I'm kidding. Um, is it whatever the strategy, I'm sorry to distract y'all. I'm just joking around, right? Is it, um, Hey man, a bunch of us are playing football on, um, on Sunday afternoon. Come, come, come play a game with us, right? What is your strategy? Is it, Hey, come to church with, you know, ask God for a strategy. And the next thing, ask the Lord how you can invest in this person's discipleship journey.
Because y'all, let's not make converts, okay? Is that all right? Yeah, there's supposed to be a community of believers. Let's be in this together for the long haul. Let's do this. You know, look, somebody paid a price for you to walk with Jesus. Let's pay a price for others, right? God, how do I invest in this person's journey over the long haul? What are you going to grace me to do? Because look, if God doesn't give you grace to have a meal with somebody once a week, please don't try to do that. Then it'll wear you out, right? But what will he grace you to do? What is he assigning you to do? What's in your hand? How can, how can you do that? So those are the three questions. Ask the Lord for one or two or three names of people and then ask him for a strategy. Ask him for your assignment. What, how's it going to work? Right. And then ask the Lord how beyond that first step, how can I invest in this person's journey over the long haul? It's can I tell you, all Patfield has some incredible pastors. I'm, I'm maybe unbiased, but but um, since I didn't grow up here, it's OK for me to brag on have and I'm not on paid staff. So I can really brag on this church, you know, um, some incredible, incredible pastors. But their job is not to make disciples. That's our job. Man, nobody said amen. It's our job. Their job is to empower us to do our job, which is to make disciples. So let's, let's thank God for our pastors, but not wait on them to do our job. Let's do our job. Is that all right? All right? So ask the Lord how. And the last thing, maybe at Connect tonight, maybe tomorrow during the day, but find one other strong believer right? And get together with that person and say, hey, can we, can we share our names and pray together? Right? Because this stuff can be challenging and maybe you can join arms with somebody and stand shoulder to shoulder and support each other on this journey of making disciples instead of just talking about it. All right? How many of y'all wrote those things down? Okay. I don't want Please don't be a bobblehead Christian. Y'all know what a bobblehead Christian is? You ever seen a bobblehead doll? Right? In church, the preacher says stuff, and everybody's all. <laughs> Anyone ever seen a bobblehead doll do anything? Uh-uh. Don't be a bobblehead. Be the real thing, please. And let's do this stuff together. Is that all right? Thank y'all so much. All right. Thank you, Mike. That was amazing. Um, I just want to pray for you all. And then we'd love to have coffee in um, Connect in the Function Hall. Father God, thank you that you have called us to be disciples and to make disciples, Father God. Lord, I pray that as you lay those people's names on our hearts, that we will really do our best to be the best example and to be able to disciple them in everything that they're going through, Father God. And Lord, I thank you that you... Use what we have. Thank you for the gifts that you have given us and you haven't left us empty-handed. And Lord, I pray that you'll highlight in those gifts in our, in our lives that you want us to use. Um, be with us this week. And I pray for testimonies to come back next week of how people have done and discipled other people. In Jesus' name, amen.